Welcome or welcome back to Pre-Arb Excellence, a Roots-based Chicago Cubs podcast with an eye on player development. COVID has switched my attention to big league games this year, but players develop at that level as well until they no longer do. If you have questions about the podcast, Cubs player development, the pipeline, or anything else along those lines, fire away on either the contest line at Tim815 on Twitter or on my Facebook Pre-Arb Excellence Groups. I love questions. Thanks for stopping by for today's episode, Patience and Roster Moves, and ask me about it if I was confusing. We spend our time where it's valued, and I don't wish to waste yours. Today, the Cubs displayed patience in a fashion that paid off. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But today was an example of where. I'm talking about this in the fourth inning, so I don't know how the game ends up. It can end up in any way, shape, or form, or fashion. But the premise of working counts is useful if the pitcher isn't throwing three pitches over first strikes. Mize pitched well. He's going to be very good eventually, but he struggled a bit tonight. Remember, 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 as Cubs prospects are coming up, Cubs pitching prospects are coming up, heck, Cubs hitting prospects are coming up. When players are just getting used to the league, they're not good to go. They're just not good to go. Casey Mize went out. And I was on pitch count monitor from the first inning. I think he was at 20, 20, 22 pitches in the first inning, plus over 40 after two, 62 after three. It was obvious he wasn't going too much longer because the Tigers aren't in a situation where this game is essential. Baseball games in August aren't essential, especially interleague games. They're just not. People play them as they are, but they're really not. So, uh, Casey Mize, once the pitches started climbing, I was actually kind of surprised that Rizzo swung first pitch when he did. He made that out. Bases loaded. It was a decent pitch to swing at, but I'm surprised he swung. What ends up happening now, I'm starting this as Casey Mize is leaving the game and is getting replaced by a relief pitcher. What that does, when a starting pitcher starts getting up in their pitch count very early, the manager is forced into an early decision. Which guy are you going to go with next? It's a decision that has to, like, ruminate. I'll use that word. Uh, It's not a case of, Oh my goodness, the guy hit his maximum his pitch count, so I'm going to immediately bring in a pitch. No, you have to get a feel for the game and okay, we're out in front, we're not out in front. He's going long into the game, he's not going long into the game. So right now, when Detroit pulled their starter Casey Mize, it was the fourth inning. So immediately the thought is. Okay, I'm going to interrupt myself again. I usually like to refer 
two relief pitchers in one of four fashions, one of four lanes, one of four tiers, however you want to look at it. There's the high leverage guy. There's the medium leverage guy. There's the low leverage guy. And there's the no leverage guy. There's the four different things. On whatever team, whether you're talking a D3 college squad or a Sandy Koufax League 14 and under squad, you have your pitchers, you have the guys that go out, but if you're getting your, your hats handed to you and you're going to your bullpen in the fourth inning, if it's not a playoff game, you're not sending out your best guy. So what that means, I think they went with Tyler Alexander. Not familiar with the name, not familiar with the player, not familiar with his uh, pitch arsenal or anything like that. I would imagine he's one of those guys where, well, let's send him out there for two innings. See if he can see if he can get through the sixth, maybe the fifth. Then we'll we'll figure it out from there. But you're not going with your elite relievers. So what the, it's kind of a bit like what happened over the weekend with the White Sox. When you send in your guy who, well, this isn't the first reliever I wanted to go to, but this is the guy I'm going to. And then after that, if the Cubs can extend a little bit further, they can possibly tack on a couple more runs, and maybe, maybe, maybe by the time it's the fifth inning and the next guy has to come in, it'll be 6-1, to 8-2. to two. And as insignificant as it sounds, if you're forcing the opposition to use their weaker pitchers, their pitchers who have less uh, likelihood for success, whoever it is that you have in the game will have that much more chance of being successful themselves. So if you're trying to bust Anthony Rizzo out of a slump, who would you rather have him face in the, for instance top of the eighth inning with two runners on and two outs. Would you rather have him facing 97 with elite location or would you rather have him face guy with an ERA of 11? Serious question. Who would you rather have Anthony Rizzo face in a game where you're trying to get him out of a slump? A guy who's kind of... Or a guy who is a really good leverage reliever. I'd rather have him face 11.52. He might not get a hit. He might not get out of the slump. But I'd rather have him face 11.52. Because it's easier to get hits off of him in general. Guy who's giving up, who has an ERA of 11.52. He's giving up more than a run a game. A guy who's an elite reliever. Rarely gives up anything. Yeah, you want 11.52 in there. So if in the first game of a three-game series, you can get into the other team's bullpen early, 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 their manager has to decide early on, am I going to leave this guy in? If they leave him in for an extended period of time, as far as you're concerned, he's done for the year because you're never going to face him again. If uh, Alexander goes two innings in relief, Anything over two innings in relief. He won't face the Cubs on Tuesday and he won't face them on Wednesday. He's done. He's done. You've shrunk their bullpen. You've shrunk the number of options. Now, a lot of the guys, the guys who are 11, they don't want to have that guy in there anyway. Your hope is against Detroit. If you can win two, 
you are golden because Kansas City's playing St. Louis for four. Cincinnati and Milwaukee are playing for three. Detroit and the White Sox, uh, no, uh, Pittsburgh and the White Sox are playing. If you can win two or three against Pittsburgh, you get the three out of six that I had been hoping for back before the White Sox series started, and you just let other teams lose. It doesn't matter who it is. Cincinnati, Milwaukee, they're going to play each other. One of them's probably going to win two. The other one's going to win one, whichever way it goes. If the Cubs go two and three, they don't lose ground to either one of them. They gain ground on one of them, and they cross three days off the calendar. That's exactly what you're looking for. You want to get it closer to the point where people start getting eliminated. When the goal is to run up the pitch counts, the hitters are going to strike out. And if they're swinging with the effectiveness and efficiency of Javier Baez recently, they'll strike out a ton. Because Javi has had a couple of at-bats where he's had absolutely no concept what he's doing. Stuff happens. The games aren't all that important right now. What? Did he just say the games aren't that important? Yeah, I just said... The games aren't that important right now. If the Cubs play fairly well from here until the end of September, then if games are still being played in October, those are the ones that count. Those are the ones that matter. Those are the ones that you get worried about. Oh, let's see. I'm here's the I'm incredibly happy at the numbers of the podcast. I I hadn't been on for a while before the Cubs game started. And when I popped on, it's like, oh, cool. That many new listens to the last most recent podcast. I I hope you guys are enjoying them. I, I appreciate the numbers. If there are any of these podcasts that you have a friend that they might get a kick out of them, shoot them a link, have them listen to it. Who knows? Maybe they might enjoy it as well. I'm trying to educate as well as entertain. Hopefully I'm doing at least one. Um... Anchor also allows sponsorships. If you would be interested in sponsoring the podcast, that'd be cool as well. Nonetheless, the important thing is I'm really happy you're listening. Um, I had a to-do today, and it's hardly worth mentioning, but I'm going to mention it anyway. Someone was being critical of me, which I'm completely good with. I fully expect people to argue with me, dispute me, take my uh, opinions to task because a lot of them are um, unpopular and not talked about a whole lot. And he was talking about the six-man rotation. I'm slightly in favor of a six-man rotation if all things are equal. Things are never equal, but I'm okay with a six-man rotation if... Three, four, five, and six are about even. They're about even, and they're all usable. I'm good with a six-man rotation. Why not? I think we all know that John Lester is a starter. He's really not a reliever. The holding base runners on thing, and he's, he's completely a grinder, and he has to have control of the entire game, and he has to, he, he's just a starter. I, I would be very scared of him coming in, trying to get 
you know, okay, Lester's got the eighth. He's gonna he's gonna try to hold a two run lead. I that would if you end up doing that, you end up doing that. But I I'm that that would uh that would stress me out. With the Cubs, you Darvish and Kyle Hendricks are the two best starters. You can argue either way you want. I won't fight you. You can say, oh, but Kyle Hendricks is better than... I won't argue. But you Darvish is... I won't argue. One and two. Whichever way you want it, either way you want it, I'm good with it. Three through six, Tyler Chatwood, Jose Quintana, John Lester, and tonight's starter, Alec Mills. I don't know. You can line them however up you want. Three through six... I won't, I won't argue a darn bit. You can have Alec Mills third. You can have Alec Mills sixth. I don't, I'm not even worried about it. If the Cubs continue to do well, if the Cubs continue to have a lead over St. Louis or whoever the second place team is, go to the six-man rotation if they're all doing well. So that was my comment. My comment was, there's no pro, this person was very critical of a six-man rotation. A six-man rotation is a stupid idea. My response was, well, what happens if uh, three through six are all doing well and they're all about the same? He, uh, long, ranting tirades in return. I, I thought he'd forgotten about me, but he, you know, he, he had to make sure he ran it up to exactly 280 words with... Uh, I can't remember if he punctuated or not, but it was, uh, I could tell he was angry for some reason. Apparently he must have think I, um, kicked his cat in the teeth or I, I don't, I don't know. Maybe he thinks I urinated on his mail. I, I'm not, I have absolutely no idea, but I was the worst person in the world. And after a while I could tell he was mad. He was mad. He was mad at me or he was mad at someone else and wanted to take it out on me. So I asked him the question that I'm going to finish the podcast with. Since Jose Quintana and Tyler Chatwood are coming back off the disabled list tomorrow, this guy's so mad at me. I said, how about this? Let's dial it down a couple of notches and tell me who you think the two players are going to be that will not be on the 25-man roster tomorrow. Seems a fun, diversionary question. Who's going to be the guys that's not going to be there? Jason Adam, I have no problems with him at all. I think he's one of them. And I don't know who the second player will be. But at some point along the line, somebody mentioned the idea of a fake injury to Dwayne Underwood. And I started to respond, wow, that's a fantastic idea. That could actually happen. It's horrible when players have fake injuries. Well, we can't really send you down to the minors, and we don't want to put you on the designated for assignment list, and that might be counterproductive to your career. We'd like to keep you here, but then, but then, how about how about we put you on the disabled list with a right strained flexor muscle? Is there a right strained flexor muscle? You can you can shoot me information in my um, 
in my inbox. Uh, I think right strained flexor muscle. That sounds like something that sounds really nice, nebulous, and unprovable. It's like, how can you prove that he doesn't have a strained right flexor muscle? Are they really going to send out the injury cops to check on that? Yeah, I, so I was thinking what they'll probably do, add him back to double A, and someone else either sent down or if it has to be Underwood, I don't think they'll designate him for assignment. I think they'd probably send somebody else down. And if you're sending somebody else down, what that does is it makes Rex Brothers even of less value. Because for what possible purpose will Rex Brothers be called up to pitch in an actual important game this season. First off, he hasn't been good in three years. Second off, he pitched this year, and I'm counting this year as one of those three years that he hasn't been very good. And third off, he's a free agent next year anyway. So even if, you know, last four appearances, wow, he's really good. What are you going to do? Extend him? Give him a two-year deal? Nah, he's not going to be it. Uh, it's it's a matter of time. The Cubs will probably make some very random-looking trade before the deadline. Cash for a hitter. Actually, I saw one today that made a little bit of sense, but I did a little bit of homework and probably not so much. I wouldn't be surprised if they get an outfielder. Somebody puts an outfielder on the design, on the DFA wire. I wouldn't be at all surprised to see the Cubs offer cash to get an outfielder and designate Rex Brothers and send um, Ian Miller back down. Nothing against Ian Miller, but presumably the guy they'd get would be better than Ian Miller. I don't know. So uh, that's where we are today. And... When you're watching and the Cubs are striking out and somebody's saying, why is it that they're taking so many pitches? Why is it that they're striking out so much? Well, that's really kind of by design. I think I've talked about it before, but tonight was kind of an example against Casey Mize. He was going to be the starter. And with a lot of young pitchers, their their early outings in their career will be short because teams are smart enough to realize they're much better off getting 75, 80, 85 pitches out of them and pulling the plug and bringing in the bullpen, even if it means using the guys with 10 and 11 ERAs for multiple innings and ending up losing the game. So, on my way out the door, if the Cubs are up 9-1 to or 12-2, to going into the bottom of the eighth inning. I'll be very interested to see who they use in relief because Mills will probably go six or seven. I don't see them pushing him any farther than that. If he can, if he can give them seven, they will be ecstatic. And if he gives them seven and they have a lead, it will be very interesting to me to see who they go to because... It very well may be the guys they go to in a blowout late are the guys that are going back to Des Moines or the guys that are going back to South Bend tomorrow.
because in an 11 to 2 game if you can rest all the pitchers that are going to be on your roster tomorrow that's generally a useful thing thanks for stopping by pre-arb excellence i'll try to have another podcast out soon possibly even by the end of the game or shortly thereafter i'll try to make sure that that one is worth your time as well be safe go cubs go and be nice to people